They say it's not what happens to you in life that really matters. It's what you do about it or how you react or how you handle it when things don't go your way. Well, for Travis and Chantel Gill, things went wrong when everything they planned for, everything they sold their possessions for, everything they saved their money for was blindsided by the pandemic. They planned to travel the world on two motorcycles and they wouldn't let a pandemic stop them. Coming up is how they did it and what happened when they tried. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Patty Capetos. Jocelyn Snell. Charlie Borman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Jim Hart. Chris Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Before we get started, I want to thank these fine companies that helped get this episode out today. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com I guess somewhere down the road, it may be novel to ask someone where they were during the pandemic of 2020. One of those things that literally stopped the world in its tracks and seemed to have left almost no one unaffected. As we all know, traveling has been basically shut down. Now, there are a handful of riders still out there, some staying put, while others are maybe beginning to move, kind of like a beetle coming out of hibernation after a long winter. Chantil and Travis Gill were ready to leave on an incredible trip before the pandemic. They planned and saved, and and just like Christmas Eve, they had all the visions of incredible places dancing around in their head when the pandemic broke and threatened to stop them before they even had a chance to get started. They chose to go anyway. Now, that may bring up different reactions from different people, but you're going to hear today the reasons they did it, then what happened to them when they tried and when they actually did it, and how things look at this point. Hey, we're not out of this yet. It's anyone's guess what tomorrow will bring. But I think we have here, through this story, a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, my name is Travis. And I'm Chantel. And we are Vihar Moto, and uh, right now we're full-time motorcycle travelers. And we're from the world. <laughs> Chantel yeah. and Travis, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You two are doing something that very few people are doing right now. You're actually on the road traveling. We That's are. true, yes, yeah. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a fight. In 20, this year it's been a fight, but we've managed to pull it off. Before we get into that, I sort of want to get an idea of you, what you guys have done as far as motorcycle travel in the past before this. What, what sort of brought you up to the point that you got on the road now? Um, you, probably your show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your show definitely inspired <laughs> us and many people, I'm sure. Um, but I think for us, it was just, uh, what was it? We got our son. We got our son a scooter five years ago. We got him a scooter. 
Yeah. And then we just started developing the love of motorcycle riding. And then the boys, um, my husband and my son sent me to, um, uh, Horizons Unlimited. <laughs> thank you. Horizons Unlimited. And, um, I heard all the stories and I was like, we got to do this instead of sailing. Cause we were going to sail around the world. And mm. then we got into motorcycles and now it's motorcycling around the world. Well, so are you guys sailors? Were you sailors before this? Yeah, we, were, yeah. we actually lived, we raised our kids on, uh, on a sailboat, we lived. We lived there for eleven years on a oh, sailboat. That's that's interesting because usually with with sailboat people, they're really um, they're like bikers. Really, once they're into it, it's almost like a lifelong yeah. thing. But it's surprising to see you change that mode because isn't that every sailor's dream to sail the world? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It definitely was ours, and it still will be someday, maybe. But I think once we discovered motorcycling late in our life. Um, then we kind of realized, all right, this might be the opportunity just to go motorcycling and then, uh, do that. And then later in life, we can do the sailing thing. Okay. So I just want to get this clear that, you know, from somebody who was, who was, you know, dyed in the wool sailors, you guys have realized that motorcycling is better than sailing. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So, um. Yeah, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. I think we've kind of, even while we've been here in Croatia, we took a week off and went sailing. And um, there were some definite things we missed about our motorcycles. Yeah, mm. definitely. Well, a great combo would really would be putting the bikes in the deck and traveling yeah. the world. I, yeah. I've thought about that a lot, about how neat that would be to pull into a port, you know, use your davit to swing your bike off and or your bikes and set them down and away you go explore and you come back and your home's there. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember when we were uh, we had our sailboat up in Washington for a while, and we pulled into uh, um, a nice little marina area, and a big boat that said Park City, Utah on it would do, was doing just that. Mm-hmm. Like they had, a, it was a big enough boat that they could swing uh, two scooters over on davits and uh, just tool around all Washington. Right. But then you, you sort of lose that. Um, I mean, there is something about uh, having those comforts of home on the boat, but yeah. you don't have that on the bike. But that's something that's part of the experience, isn't it? it is, yeah. It is. Yeah. But exactly. when you're on the bike also, you get to actually interact with the people more, I think, um, because you're you're going to the small cities and the small towns and you're actually relying on them for help or for communication or whatever, you know. And on the sailboat, you go to these sail sail ports, and that's pretty much all you see. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So, what are the what are the riding have you done? You've been doing it for five years now, and it's interesting because I think you're the first couple that I've ever talked to that bought their son a scooter, and that's what got them into riding. So that, that's an interesting segue. So, what have you been doing with your bikes? Well, so um, we we started late. we started motorcycling late, but yeah, we bought uh, our. We bought initially the scooter, and we both loved that. And then we had to buy another scooter, and then uh, we had those for a while. And then we just then I was using the the scooter to kind of commute back and forth to work, which I was having a great time doing. But then later I was like, "Hey, let's let's get a motorcycle." So we ended up buying a um, a G six fifty GS, a BMW single cylinder, and then um, Chantil took that to Horizons Unlimited. And we thought, Erin and I honestly thought that we lost her because she kept she kept calling back every night saying how amazing it was and how we need to go travel by motorcycle around the world. And we're like, Erin, I don't know if your mom's going to be coming back. She literally might join a motorcycle gang and then gone forever. Why was she there by herself? Why didn't you go? 
I think it was work, like typical things getting away. Like I, I didn't have a vacation time, and she she was able to go. And he had and Aaron had school. So, mm. how old is Aaron? Uh, he's twenty two now. I see. So, so he's he fine. was finishing up high school. Yeah, he's fine on his own now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Chantel, what did it take to convince Travis to do the round the world <laughs> trip? I'm telling you, all I did is I came back to that and told him all this, all the amazing stories. And, um, and I, I know we've always wanted to travel. So, I mean, that's in our blood already. And, um, I just got so excited. He's like, saw the joy in my, in my face. And he's like, okay, let's do this. We could do the motorcycles first. <laughs> yeah. You bring up an interesting question though, because I admittedly coming from a sailboat, like I like the creature comforts of a sailboat pulling a port. It's got all of your. Nice queen size bed in it. It's very comfortable. Adjusting to motorcycle travel wasn't necessarily my cup of tea, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> now, when Chantil is telling you about how great this motorcycle travel is, and, and I'm sure in your mind you're you're sort of caught between, well, we've already planned the, the sailboat thing. What were you thinking? Were you thinking of trying to persuade her that she's she's deluded? I don't. I don't remember. I think I think Horizons Unlimited. Those kind of events are infectious. I mean. I've gone to one later, a couple of years after Chantilly to Germany, and just hearing all the people tell their stories, it's infectious. It, it gets into you, and uh, it's, it's, it just seems like a really great way to travel. So I, I don't think it was that hard to convince me. And also, we listened to your radio all the time when we first started listening, and we would backtrack all that we could uh, possibly hear from uh, your Adventure Rider radio, and it just helped us so much get that excitement going it's pretty mm. motivating your 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 show is pretty motivating jim that's great to hear thank you for that i, I appreciate it when did you guys start planning this trip that you're on now um well so we basically came to a point in our lives when uh, our kids were adults um and then i had an opportunity to go to work in germany so then uh once that once that opportunity came we thought, all right, how are we going to get to Germany? Um, we have a sailboat. We have two cars. We have two motorcycles. We got two scooters. We have all the things that kind of gets people locked down. And then we made a determination. All right, if we're going to go live and work in Germany, let's just let's just commit to it and just um, get rid of everything except our two motorcycles. So that's what we did. Oh wow! So you, you moved to Germany, and that's where you were when you started. Yes. Kind of, yeah. So we, we left San Diego and we rode across the country, um, even through Canada a little bit, in order to get the motorcycles to Portland, Maine, so we could have them shipped to Iceland. What did your kids think about uh, you selling the house and everything? <laughs> they were on their own right yeah, then. So. <laughs> they yeah, they were adults then. They didn't have a choice, I guess. <laughs> well, I know they don't have a choice, but I'm just thinking, you know, it's, it's what do they think? Because often there's that the connection with a family home. And I think when you're young, you think that things never change. You think that because the house is there today and the gas station down the road, that's all going to be there forever. And we all know that that isn't how it works out. Well, I think maybe since we've been talking about travel our whole, I mean, our whole, their whole growing up years that I think they kind of anticipated as soon as they left the house that we'd be gone. <laughs> so there you are in Germany. By the way, what do you guys do for a living that you, you get to move around like that? Uh, I serve in the military, the U.S. Navy. Mm. Okay, that's great. So you've, you've probably been around in a bunch of different places. 
bunch of yeah we have so that's what that's actually what made the boat really convenient is we could especially in the navy we could have a sailboat and uh, i would move from place to place but being in the navy typically be on the water so we uh we could keep our boat but then uh, move different ports every two or three years so talk a little bit about this preparation and departure from germany yeah, so once we moved to Germany, like most people, um, we had limited amount of time that we could travel. Um, vacation time was it, but we ended up traveling a lot of Europe as much as we could with the vacation time we had. And then um, once I was formally um, retired from the military, um, we basically knew that at, at that point we were going to commit to full-time travel. So the bikes were in Germany already. We flew back to the United States to make sure we could handle um, all the retirement affairs and get everything else in storage, any last-minute stuff we had. And then we flew to Germany to start full-time traveling in February. And what does full-time travel look like to you guys? (laughs) Well, it was planned out, and then uh, Corona hit, so... (laughs) <laughs> we take it we take it day by day now. Well, I mean, what style of travel though? I mean, is full-time travel moving from hotel to hotel or are you camping and getting by on, you know, very little money each day? So, yes, because we're on a on a fixed budget. I mean, the military pension is is generous and we're we we're grateful for it, but we also to make this work, we saved up for the last decade or so. And um we just, we just, so we're on a budget for sure. We're definitely on a budget. Um, yeah. We're not staying at hotels. Uh, we actually tend to avoid hotels. We, if we could camp every night, we would do that. But it's, it's just not feasible in Europe, especially outside the summer season. There's not campsites available, and wild camping is frowned upon, especially in um, Western Europe. We do when we can, and. Um when we are like exhausted by the end of the night and we're like, oh, this is just a nice quiet spot. But, um, but usually we're doing Airbnbs because of the coronavirus. They seem to have uh, cleaner units and stuff and then they're reasonably priced. As far as budgets and finance goes, um, that's a huge hurdle for everyone who's looking to, yeah. to do any sort of travel. And making that money while you're on the road, is, in particular if you're, if you're making it a full-time thing, if you're going to quit your life and go off and explore the world, you've sort of got to come to some reckoning as far as finances go. Now, retirement will cover you for some. I think you have some investments as well. So are, are you running a deficit sort of each month? I mean, I'm not looking for, for numbers here, but are you running a deficit each month or are you able to sustain this? Um, I guess it depends. So, of course, we're probably in one of the more expensive areas in Europe. Um, that's kind of why we chose to do Europe first since we were already here. We figured, all right, we have we have a savings. Let's go and give it a full year in Europe, and then see how things go. And then if if uh, if we can make money on the road, if if we're not at a huge deficit, if it's not if it's not more challenging or difficult than we thought, then we'll continue to other continents that are going to be a little cheaper. But right now we're doing pretty good. I mean, we're traveling a little slower than we want. And when we travel slower, we save more money. We save, yeah. You actually yeah. save kind of more money because you're not you're not burning it up in gas every day and things like that. What's your biggest expense right now? Accommodations. 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 Mm-hmm. 
for bikes, you guys are both riding your own bikes, BMW G650 GSs. Uh, talk about the bikes and what you did to prep them. Um, so the reason we chose the GSs is that uh, we just needed a, we wanted a bike within our budget that was about $5,000. So we have used ones. So they were used when we bought them with about ten and 12,000 miles on each of them. Um, we wanted a bike with ABS because we were brand new riders. We wanted that extra safety feature. And it, it saved our bacon, especially through the first year of, yeah. year of riding. <laughs> there were some times we were like, wow, I'm glad I had ABS. Um, but then mostly to outfit them, I think we just put kind of like a 50-50 off-road and touring tire. And then uh, we put racks on them and panniers, luggage, crash bars, that's pretty much the standard stuff. Oh, so you didn't go crazy detailing the bike in, in every way? You've just sort of put some stuff on it and got it ready to go? Yep. Got it. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't have detailed them. They're, they're pretty beat up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking more in detailing. I mean, going over and, and doing all the mods that everyone likes to do. You know, if you get on forums and, and different talk to different people who are into the bikes, you can come up with a lot of mods. You can, You yeah. can, yeah. Our mods were more of guests... Sparkle, functional sparkle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had to have function in order to put them on the bike. But there's some definite things like we have a chain oiler. Um, we added extra aux connectors so we can plug in and charge all of our stuff. Um, that's pretty much it. They already had they had heated grips. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest thing was just buying motorcycle gear that we knew was going to be reliable through long haul, and then. Um, take the bikes that we had. Yep. Well, let's talk about the trip and how it started. Um, this is interesting because you were just getting ready to go and COVID came around. Now, how far into your planning or what, what point were you at when you ran into COVID? Two weeks. Two weeks we were shut down fast. <laughs> you mean you were, you were just planning for two weeks? I mean, because that's not no. so bad. No, no, we planned. We planned a long time, and um, we knew COVID was in the air in this in the era in February in America. But we're like, eh, we'll just have to deal with it when it comes. So as soon as we get to um, to um, Frankfurt, um, the first case hit in the town where our bikes were, and we're like, oh, maybe this is more serious than we think it is. And even when we tried to close out our German bank account, they were closed down. So they're like, we'll open whenever this is done. <laughs> so. Um, Oh, I don't know. We yeah. And then we just started, we were like, let's just go. Let's just start traveling and we'll see if it catches up with us. So at this point, you don't think COVID is that big of a deal. This is back in February. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it was in the news, but I think it caught everybody off guard. It definitely caught Europe off guard. Um, yeah, good, good question. Like yeah. looking back hindsight, we didn't really have any other options because every our life was committed to um, living and traveling on two motorcycles. I mean, we didn't have a home really to go back to. So that's that's all we knew is like, hey, this is our dream. That's what we're doing. We're committed. We're going to go do it. Until we get stopped, we're going to keep going. And that's our goal now is we're going to keep going until we get stopped. <laughs> 
it's so easy to look back, you know, in hindsight and, and judge it differently because back yeah. in February, I think most of us can remember that there it was definitely coming out and it was becoming a big thing. But I think there was a lot of talk about that. You know, is it as bad as they say it is? Is this not just yeah. another flu? We had SARS and the, you know, the, the bird yeah. flu and, and different things before this that we dealt with and it was bad, but we got over it. You know, if we take ourselves back and put ourselves back in that February position, it's easy to think that, well, maybe this is going to be the same thing. I think kind of my my mentality, too, is like I try to focus on the things I can control. And um, I, I couldn't control how, I mean, how con- countries were perceiving it or whatever they could. So the only thing we really could control at that point was our travel time. And we listened to the news and we... Um I don't know, we said we would take precautions by washing your hands and, and keeping away, keeping our distance from people. But, um, yeah, we knew it was there and we knew it might could be a worry, but I don't know. We were going to keep going, I guess. So what stopped you? You're riding along, you're deciding that, you know, you'll, you'll be as safe as you can. And you said you got two weeks in and stopped. What stopped you? Spain. Spain (laughs) said. Spain was, uh, incredibly heavy handed, I think compared to other European countries. Um, literally they took, they declared a state of alarm and that basically allowed, um, central control of the entire country, no more autonomous regions. Um, and because they called the state of alarm, they literally shut down the entire country unless it was essential. And they were given fines out like you wouldn't believe. So Mm. we buckled down at an Airbnb and just, uh, talked with the hostess and made a deal for, with, uh, how long they're staying. And how difficult was it to find an Airbnb that would take you? Because we heard many stories uh, from around the world of Airbnbs saying, forget it, you're a foreigner, we don't want you in. Yeah, it definitely took some courage um, for Maria, our hostess, to, I think, accept us. I mean... We were back and forth emailing and trying to convince, we're okay, we're not sick, we'll be fine, we don't need medical help. She definitely asked that question like, hey, do you need any medical help? I'm like, no, no, we're fine. We just need a place to stay. And um, yeah, looking back at those first couple of days, I wouldn't say it was tense. I mean, there was some concern because it was an Airbnb type of place where we shared a lot of the same living areas. Well, at least the, at least the garden areas and the lounge areas were shared with her family. I mean, we had our own room our own bathroom and everything but it took it took a little courage on her part to uh accept us in we're glad she did and i wonder were there any and what were they if there were social stresses for her as having you in there i mean does her neighbors look at her and and confront her and say what are you doing yeah Yeah, that was i think that was her biggest concern because she does have elderly parents that live um a little further down and um yeah there was there was definitely that concern that you mentioned. So what did you do during your lockdown? <laughs> um, it's funny because, you, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest mistakes you make is packing too much stuff. And uh, one of the things I considered not packing was our um, Nintendo Switch. I was like, ah, we don't really need this Nintendo Switch, right? But man, being locked down. For three months, we're glad we brought that little thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, what the Nintendo Switch that's a, a portable game. Yeah, 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 exactly, a little portable game. But we played plenty of co-op games, and we stayed busy on that. And 
Nintendo released some pretty pretty good games during the uh, pandemic that that um, made made life much easier for a lot of people in the world. <laughs> yeah. And then once the once we both the boys and her boys and I and uh, we started building things and creating things once we knew nobody had COVID and we're all locked down together. So we started building things and creating um, what pallet furniture and i don't know and we taught them how to do um youtube channels which they have a new youtube channel too which is pretty cool so it was it was a fun inspirational thing for them and for us yeah we're really good friends with maria and her boys it's uh the three months we spent together really kind of solidified a a long-term friendship Wow, three months. That's a long time. And if boy, yes. if you don't get along, that's an even <laughs> longer time. Yeah, yeah. No, they were they were incredibly awesome. What's the YouTube channel that the kids have done? It's called Cricket. And what's it about? Um he he builds um little William builds like you wouldn't believe he's his mind is so creative. He goes in and just like finds something that's um mom wants to waste and he'll go and build something out of it. He's just a very interactive little boy that just creates, creates, creates. So he started a, just a creating channel. Oh, that's, that's really neat. And that's neat that you've had that um, influence uh, on someone that wouldn't have otherwise got it. So it was good for all of you. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It it definitely was. was a win for, for all of us. Absolutely. We're taking a a couple minute break here just to tell you about a couple of things. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a whole bunch more, including why they stayed on the road. Stay with us. In my part of the world, a few weeks back, I woke up to find that winter is creeping quickly across the land. The deciduous trees have dropped their leaves. We have switched from shorts to long johns, and most of us have stopped shaving our legs. Well, I mean, if they did before, they'd probably stop by now. But most importantly, it's cold feet weather for the uninformed. So in the next few seconds, I'm going to enlighten you to uh, my warm, comfortable foot winter. Of course, with the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, Pearly's Possum Socks. Pearly's Possum Socks are made with a special blend of merino wool and possum fur. Those two fibers combined and then sewn into a form with motorcycling in mind make a warm, soft, dependable sock. Pearly's Possum Socks. The website is pearlyspossumsocks.com. Mention us anytime you're dealing with an email, inquiring, whatever you're doing. Tell them that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, I'll tell you, I've been an avid outdoorsman my entire life. I love all kinds of weather. I'm not just a, a fair weather rider. I'll ride in anything that I can. But part of that is because I like to use the right gear for the job. I'm not going out and, and torturing myself. I'm trying to dress properly, appropriately, the best I can. And Pearly's Possum Socks, are the best cold weather sock I've ever tried for all of my outdoors activities. I'm wearing Pearly's right now as I talk to you. Pearly'spossumsocks.com. Mention us when you talk to them. If you're a regular listener to Adventure Rider Radio, you've probably heard our popular series called Rider Skills. It's an exclusive program uh, that we have on Adventure Rider Radio. Rider Skills has been running for quite a number of years now. I'm not even sure how long, but it's been a long time. It features some of the top rider trainers in the world. I mean top rider trainers. They teach us skills that can improve our ride. And I can't count how many times these different instructors have talked about the importance of the foot peg connection. Using your foot pegs for steering and traction. It is ultimately important with any motorcycle, in particular with a large adventure bike. With something so important as a foot peg, get 
IMS Products foot pegs. IMS Products has been around since 1976. That's when they started, 1976. And ever since that humble beginning, IMS has been owned and operated by motorcyclists and racer enthusiasts. Even now, IMS owner Scott Wright is an ex-Baja 1000 winner. He is an adventure rider. Why do I tell you that? Because I think it's important to realize that this is a company with passion. When you have people behind it with that kind of background, you know it's driven by passion. And passion creates great products. And that's what IMS has with their foot pegs. IMSproducts.com is the website. Please mention us anytime you're dealing with them. Even if you're just inquiring, tell them you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So when did you leave? We left as soon as we could. June 20th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, June, June 21st, the state of alarm was over in Spain, which basically allowed people to travel now between regions. So that very that very next day we left Mutia. <laughs> I mean we love we love that area. <laughs> but after 90 days and literally 62 of those days, you could not travel at all. Like you had to stay in your house. Yeah. You couldn't go outside. No, um, not even for walks. Yeah. yeah. Not even for, so could you not go in your own backyard? Well, you could because it was fenced. Yeah. Because oh, it was our own fenced yard, you could. But if you didn't have a fenced yard, you would be indoors. Wow. That's crazy. And now at any point up to this point where you were actually escaping on, the, I guess, the 22nd, did you think about calling it quits? Yeah, we did. Many times. Yeah. Yeah. How but does I, that conversation go? Uh, it, <laughs> So, like, we try to be, I try to be as logical as I can. The truth is, like, financially, it would be worse for us to go back to the United States and try to come up with a plan, store the bikes. Like, we have nothing to go back to, Jim. We don't have a so, house. Like, we, we don't have a house. No, stuff, the boat no that we had is nothing. gone. Yes, we yeah. don't have anything. Mm. So we'd have to start all over again and buy all new stuff. And it would, it just wasn't feasible for us. So it's almost almost like no choice, really. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely cheaper just to wait it out. In hindsight, nobody imagined that Spain would be locked down for three months. Like yeah. we thought, okay, quarantine period, two weeks, at the most, maybe a month. That ended up being three months. Mm-hmm. Where did you go when you escaped? <laughs> we just continued our trip south. So um, we just uh, we went all the way around southern Spain. Uh, we continued west toward Portugal and then up through Portugal. Yeah, July 1st, Portugal opened its borders. So we were able to go after that in through Portugal. And because we were in Spain during a lockdown, the government was actually pretty generous um, in the sense of they said, all right, anybody that's trapped in our country, we are automatically giving you a 90-day um, travel visa automatically as soon as the state of alarm is over. So we had 90 days after that to, to continue to travel, which was nice. To explore Spain. Yeah, yeah. yeah for yeah. Spain. Oh, they, okay. they, it was limited to Spain, technically. Yes. <laughs> now, were there any restrictions on that? Like when they're saying, okay, go ahead and you, you've got this 90-day travel visa, clearly understanding that you're traveling and exploring. Are there any restrictions on you going now to look at the tourist places? No, no. not at all. no. And like a lot of the tourist places were trying to start opening back up again. And so um, we were the only ones there or like very few people were there. 
like in Granada and um, Cordova. So yeah. Both those um, those palaces in the monastery. I mean, the, the Alhambra. No. So the Alhambra in Granada is something that you would typically have to book months in advance. But uh, we showed up along with, what, eight other people? Yeah. And had the whole place to ourselves. That was before the borders opened on July 1st for other countries to come in. So tourism was nice because it was open and it wasn't crowded. Yeah. Mm. Was that a little creepy though? No, no it, was, it was, it was beautiful. There, there was no people around and we got the best pictures. Yeah. So. Well, I've seen some of the photos too, and it's incredible because you do look at these places that should be packed with people and it's devoid of people. It, it almost seems like there's something missing in the photo. Like it's, it's too clean. You know, it's, it's been yeah. touched up. Yeah, it's like yeah. a perfect picture. You're like, what? Yeah, you can't get that picture. No. No. As a photographer, I was like, this is amazing. So <laughs> this is a great opportunity. Do you have any, um, while well, you're doing this and you're going to these tourist places, do, does it, um, do you have any sort of internal struggle with the fact that there's a lot of people who are still locked down and not going anywhere and not traveling around? And that's why, of course, it's so empty. Any thoughts like that? Well, the thing is, that's, that's the thing is we um, are traveling so that they can actually sit home and watch. And <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe a little selfish, but I'm, that's my thought. I've been thought, thinking of it. I was like, this is the opportunity. They get to see what's out there and see how people are reacting and doing with COVID, you know, and they see our videos yeah. or they see our, our travels and they say, oh, maybe I can start going out again or maybe things will get back to normal. So maybe a little hope for them. And what what type of reception are you getting from people? Uh, people seem glad. I mean, people, it hasn't been negative. People seem pretty glad that we're out traveling still. Yeah. And there's a certain responsibility you have, I think. I mean, we, we do our reading and many, many people are like, no, you have a responsibility to stay at home and not travel. But I mean, at the same time, we're just two of us. And I don't know if we're... That's a good question. Are we spreading contamination wherever we go? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, we we minimize uh, people we associate with, and maybe that's the downside of traveling during these times too. Is I think people tend to be standoffish already, yeah. And that's that's a little more challenging. So it'd be nice to get back to where people are more open and you can tell them your story. But that still exists here. Yeah, it does. Yeah, like today we were out. Um, at a castle and we ran into um, a Canadian and American and we just started talking to them and they, they got out and traveled too. They're like, we just got over here just two days ago when we we're loving Croatia because Croatia lets people in, I guess, Americans and Canadians. <laughs> yeah. So it was nice just to run into people and start talking to them. So these are other travelers, though, of course, they're doing the same thing as you. So they, you know, you have something in common, uh, but it's the locals that seem a little standoffish. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I guess, reluctant no. to deal with you. I don't think I so. Don't the know. Airbnb hosts have been amazing. I haven't felt that at all. No, I haven't either. Oh, that's nice to hear. That's yeah. really nice to hear. Because I think that's the great fear is that, you know, things will change in the world. People will become more paranoid, uh, more worried about, well, catching COVID or now anything. I mean, are, are we going to become, you know, um, anal about uh, being clean and distant? Yeah. I think that existed probably, like you heard plenty of stories about that March through like June, July. Yeah. But the reality is many of these countries, especially Spain and Croatia and places like that, they rely heavily on tourism. Yep. So it, it's kind of a, 
a two-edged sword. Like they need the tourism so that they can they they the economy relies on it. Mm-hmm. So they have to kind of accept it. And I think I think that's how we feel in Croatia. Is everybody we've ran into here is always like, "Oh, how do you love our country?" Yeah. So we haven't ran into anything negative. I think that might be completely different because we're in Europe. Um, it might be substantially different, I think, in Africa or South America or something like that. They ask you, how, how do you love their country? Yeah. When you're in the States and you meet someone from somewhere else, do you ask them that? No. <laughs> No, because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I do in, in Canada. If I see somebody, I, I don't think that occurs to me to ask that. No. Yeah, exactly. No, a lot of them say, how do you love it? This lady today, she's like, so did you love the island? And I'm like, yeah, the island's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah, the questions, boys, too. There's no room there for negativity. Did you love, how did you love the, how much did you love it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Great way to poise the, the question. So w- what happens after this then? W- where did you end up going? Well, so like Spain offered the 90 days, but so this is, this is kind of a gray area for us. So technically that only included Spain, but because Spain is a Schengen country and pretty much after July 1st, all the Schengen countries open their borders once again. So that meant most of, most of uh, Western Europe, you could pretty much cross borders without any border control. Yeah. So... Really? Knowing that, we um, we went to Portugal and then back into Spain. And then we could see that things, we had to make a plan because our 90 days was coming to an end in September. So we looked at basically all over, we looked at Google Earth, where can Americans travel? Yeah. And at the time, Americans technically weren't even allowed to be in Europe if you flew like an airplane there and landed at airport. Exactly. But since we were already in Europe, um, it wasn't wasn't a concern, so we decided. Well, the Balkans, the Balkan countries are opening, oh, staying to open to America, and the UK is open. Where right. do we want to winter? And ultimately, we actually, interesting enough, we reached out to Sam Manicom yep. and we said, "Hey, we know you have some experience in Europe. What would you recommend?" And he was like, "Eh, I." If it were up to me, I would spend my winter in the Balkans. <laughs> so um, that's ultimately what we did. We uh, we booked it over. We booked it over across uh, France, northern Italy, through Slovenia, and then reached Croatia. And we've been in Croatia now since since the end of August. August. Yep. And how long will you stay? Well, the twenty fifth, we have to be out. So the twenty fifth of November. So we'll head down to uh, Montenegro and Albania. Hmm. So you're, you're kind of running. <laughs> it sounds yeah. a little bit like you're running away from places you can't be trying to find places that you can go. I mean, it's got to yeah. be a, a bit of work for you. It that, is. That is, it is. That is exactly what we're doing. Like, yeah. it's interesting because they say the world is your oyster, but huh. our oyster is rapidly shrinking, <laughs> especially with now a second wave of Corona. Yeah. But the Balkan countries have, at least up to this point, have kind of maintained their policy of allowing people to come in. Many of them require a test. Um, many of them have a different kind of view, like Montenegro, for instance. They don't have a general policy that says, hey, if you come from this country, you can't come here. Their exactly. policy is, where have you been in the last two weeks? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so Croatia and Montenegro are neighbors. So if you're coming from Croatia and you've been in Croatia for the last two weeks, 
um, you're welcome to cross the border. Yeah. And where are you getting the information from for this? Um, mostly the U.S. Um, travel.gov. So you haven't, I guess you probably haven't done an awful lot of miles compared to what you were planning on doing. Yeah, you're right. We haven't done a whole lot of miles. I, I think we did, we're at 40,000 miles since we left San Diego. Oh, well, that's still, that's, that's pretty good. Um, but <laughs> but um, you're traveling around, you know, in expensive places. You're, you're staying in B&Bs. You, you haven't been camping. It, it, is, is that getting old? No, I'm enjoying it. But we were we were camping up until October first, and then all the wind. I mean, the winter campgrounds close at October first. Mm, so see. we were doing some camping. We just were doing it at campgrounds and then Airbnbs. And the campgrounds let you in. They're fine with that. They are. Yeah, yeah they totally. Yeah, as long as I mean, then they just shut down for the winter months. So there, there's no more camping now. Right. It's hard to find. Yeah, it's hard to find campsites here, at least in the Balkans after after October. October. Yep. And in the areas you've been riding, have you, have you found any challenging riding? I mean, are you guys into doing any trails or anything? Yeah, we, we love trails. So um, we did the Croatia Tet, which was the Trans Euro Trail. Yeah, are you familiar with the Trans Euro Trail? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's quite amazing. It's been going now for four years, but it it shocked us when we moved to Europe that there was literally a roadway of systems that you could literally travel off road through all these European countries. It's quite amazing. Um, but yeah, so we, we've done some of the TETs. We've done the trans Trail in Netherlands, Belgium, part of France, a little bit of Spain. And then we most recently, like a month ago, we rode the, the entire Croatian trans Trail. And we would have continued to um, Bosnia and Herzegovina, except that um, they, they required a test. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. So uh, we had to get a COVID test just to get in the border. So we thought, eh, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll stay in Croatia until until we uh, want to spend like a month or more in their country. Why did, Why didn't you want to do the test? Well, because it, um, right now we're allowed 90 days in Croatia. So we're going to finish up our 90 days and then we would go into other countries. Oh, so. I see. Before you go through yeah. the hassle and, and everything. Part of it is insurance as well. Yeah. So our insurance is covered because Croatia is part of the European Union. So they, they give you a green card insurance, and that green card covers most of the EU, but it doesn't cover the other Balkan countries. So we'd have to get new insurance. Hey, what does insurance say with, with COVID? Do they have any sort of requirements or anything like that? No, no. not they've told us. <laughs> they haven't said anything to you? No, no. Oh, you mean like health insurance? Yeah, health insurance. I'm thinking, oh, you were talking vehicle insurance, were you? Yeah, vehicle yeah. insurance. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking health insurance. I'm just wondering whether your health insurance yeah. said, hey, if you go into a, a high COVID area, you know, you're not going to be covered or, or something like that. No, no, no they not, haven't said anything. Not to our knowledge. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm, that's nice to hear. Yeah, that is nice. I uh, hope they don't get that information. Because <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> um, so you guys are reckless riding motorcycles through <laughs> often countries. Well, yeah, let's, well, insurance and motorcycle riding, that's, that's one that we've talked about before on the show. And uh, it turns out there's a lot of insurance companies out there that will insure you to ride a motorcycle, but it's only up to like 90 CC or something like that. Very small bikes. They expect you're going uh-huh. on vacation somewhere and you're going to ride a scooter. And if you were to tell them that you're riding a 650, then they'll say, sorry, you know, we're not, we're not going to give you that coverage. That's something important to look at when you're getting your, your insurance. But yeah. I was going to say about the Croatia TAT that you rode, have you been on the backcountry discovery routes in the States? Yes, yes we did so, Arizona. Arizona. 
Car- yeah. comparison now between the two? Arizona's uh, harder. Well, we were we were new. Yes, we were newbie. We were like total noobs when we rode Arizona, and that Arizona kicked our tails. Mm. We did good. Then we but finished we, the whole we thing. It, we made it through. But I think we were brand new riders. We only had we had basically one off road class, <laughs> and then we 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 said, well, let's go to Arizona. It's close to where we live in California, <laughs> and that's what we did. And we had a great time. But we also learned a lot, and, and we struggled. Yeah, and we but... struggled. So uh, the biggest struggle we had, I think, was how difficult it was in the heat. And the same. And then the other thing was the, um, we ended up camping overnight after a rainstorm. And uh, there's some sections in Arizona that you do not want to ride when it's muddy. It's mm. it's miserable. Mm. Pure it miserable. It up so bad. <laughs> but, I mean, that experience also helped you because yeah. that riding through the mud and just kind of getting through it and enduring that, it helped Chantil later when she, she had an opportunity to ride with... Um, the girls on top. Yeah, Steph, Steph Javons, and she rode up with them, and it was muddy as well. So that experience she had in Arizona helped out a lot. Yeah. Mm. And Chantilly, you, you mentioned sand. Oh, yeah, sand. Yeah, there was, at the beginning, right there by the border of Mexico, um, there's a lot of sand that was pretty tough to get through. We, quite a few times, we dropped our bikes. And we could have taken a shortcut an easy way, but we didn't realize it. <laughs> mm. We had to few- go the hard way. There's a feeling of, of wilderness, I think, for a lot of the backcountry discovery routes. Do you get that with a tat? Depends on where you're at. I would say you definitely get that in the Balkans, for sure. Western, I'm sorry, Eastern, Eastern Europe, absolutely you, you get that. Um, when we did it four days to cover that distance, and we wild camped every day because it's, it's so remote. Yeah, yeah. You guys had mentioned that you had some stories, and I assume that means that you've had some things happen to you. Like so far, it sounds like an idyllic trip in an incredibly difficult time. It, it sounds like everything's working out great for you. I mean, you you guys are making the right moves, you're doing the right things, and and you're still out there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, I not to rub noses in it, but it's actually worked out pretty well, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because we're in Europe. I mean, many, many other people we follow that are in Africa or South, South America, they went back to Europe and they got motorcycles and they also were able to travel. In Europe, yeah. So I think maybe that's just we, we were fortunate to be in a country that didn't completely lock us down for six months. I mean, I've heard Argentina, um, I've heard they're on an almost six-month lockdown still. So... We were, we were talking about your stories and experiences yes. you've had. Yeah, so for for a while, we thought we were going to break down in every country that we visited. <laughs> so uh, in Mexico, we had a little minor issue, but they were they were able to fix that. And two hours later, we were back on the road. But Canada was the next one. And Canada was actually, that was pretty drastic. So what happened to my particular bike is... Um, I do, I do all the, pretty much all the maintenance that I can, I do on my own. And the reason I do that is because I wanted to be familiar with the motorcycle, especially when we take them to remote areas. So uh, I ended up replacing the chain and sprocket, torquing the nut to 40 Newton meters like you're supposed to. And then um, unfortunately, it still had a little bit of play in it. 
And I was like, well, I torqued it down. Maybe the play is just what it's supposed to have in the factory. But had I replaced just the washer and the bolt brand new, it probably wouldn't have had that play. Anyhow, riding from San Diego to Ontario, um, I guess that little bit of play in the front sprocket was enough to grind all the teeth off. So I put it in first gear in a remote area in Ontario and then spin, spin, nothing. Yeah. Didn't go anywhere. Uh, this is your counter shaft you're talking about. Yeah, so where it's, where the sprocket is attached to the drivetrain through the counter shaft, both the teeth worn completely off. <sighs> yeah, big deal, right? So Especially in a BMW, you can't change that very easily. So, and to add insult to injury, so as you know, one of the biggest mistakes that adventure riders do is they're, they're pressed for time. And three days from that point, we had to have the bikes on a boat to go to Iceland where we were going to uh, have them shipped and then we were going to meet up with them three weeks later in Reykjavik. Mm. So anyhow, so we're right there where we break down. A guy who lives right there at the street where we broke down comes by and he's a motorcyclist and he looks at it and he's like, man, your options aren't very good. He goes, I can weld it for you. Mm, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> welding, as you know, welding your sprocket to the drivetrain is, is never, never a good option. But it was really the only option we were. We were pretty remote. The nearest BMW dealer was seven hours away. Um, we would have had to truck it there. And then it would have taken probably another two to three weeks to replace it. And it would have been, it would have been very expensive. So it would have scrapped our entire plan. So we decided to weld it, and that's what we did. We we welded that sprocket right to the drivetrain, and um, it held. It held for another three three thousand three thousand miles, and then it broke again in Iceland. And then, uh, fortunately, Chantil was able to tow me with the. We just had a tow strap. She towed me to another place in Iceland, and they welded it, and then. Uh, that weld held all the way to Germany. Yep. Now, for those who can't quite picture what we're talking about here, your output shaft on your engine transmission combination, that counter shaft, that is a spline shaft that comes out and that sprocket that drives the rear wheel slides onto that spline. And what happened with you is because you didn't get it torqued down properly, the sprocket was rattling back and forth on those splines and eventually wore the splines out, broke them off. So at this point, you've got to tear the engine down to replace this, this counter shaft on the bike. And so, yeah, your only option is, is to weld it. Yeah, you're ruining the shaft. The shaft was garbage anyway. At least you're getting some miles out of it. So yeah. Um, yeah. good thinking, uh, a good uh, a good fix, but kind of depressing at the same time because what did that what did that uh, repair end up costing you when you got it fixed? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it costs, one, it costs this whole winter of riding because, uh, I, again, I did all the maintenance myself, but I pulled a short of the engine. So I pulled the engine on my own and then I had to bring the engine to to a mechanic. And then that mechanic spent the next three months of pulling it apart and putting a new counter shaft and rebuild, basically rebuilding the engine. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a lot of money and a lot of big chunk of your budget gone down the tubes there. And it's interesting because that's that is a very um, it's a small thing if you think about it. Like you said, you you did up the the bolt to the right torque. You had a little play in there, and you thought, okay, no big deal. Yet down yeah. the road, look how it, how it turns out. So I think what happens is the bolts when they get torqued down, they tend to kind of elongate, and uh, 
literally the bolt is like $2.18 and not putting a brand new bolt in there ended up costing me um, well over $1,500. Yeah, that they can stretch. And uh, I mean, it is surprising that that it stretches that much. And obviously it's in a blind hole, which means that it it goes in and stops. And it just makes you wonder, you know, with the the manufacturing process, like what were they thinking? Why not just yeah. make the bolt a little bit shorter? So there's some clearance there. So there's room for error, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Expensive, expensive lesson learned. Mm-hmm. So that, that poor bike, my, my G650, which is Chateau, actually it, it barely limped to Germany. So between a welded sprocket, um, the wind donking it over, yeah. causing the, um, the clutch lever to break. Yeah, so we patched it with a 10 millimeter wrench and um, zip ties. <laughs> a 10 yeah. mil wrench zip tied to the broken lever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I was using a 10 millimeter wrench for my clutch handle. You don't have handlebar protectors on that? We do. We do. Yeah, so that's the crazy thing. I've dropped it on the trail. We dropped it on the Arizona BDR no. countless amount of times. And then... The, the, the final straw that broke it was wind knocked it over at a gas station while I was filling it up and I went in to pay for the gas and then I came out and it's on its side and Chantilla and another guy are picking it up. And it's just one little rock. Yeah. Little rock it was in the wrong spot. Busted uh, the lever right off. Right. So it just happened to hit in the right spot. Mm. And then the clutch cable broke in Iceland as well. So we we tried to go get a clutch cable replacement that whole unit. But um, getting things to Iceland would have taken weeks. So then, um, interesting enough, I just asked a bicyclist if uh, he had a spare cable, and he did. So we were able to use a bicycle cable. And a nut and washer. I mean, a nut and a bolt. Nice. What else was wrong with that bike? Oh, it had a leaky fork. All Like one of the forks, I don't think there was any fluid at all in it when it got to <laughs> Germany. <laughs> so it, it needed, like pulling the engine was just uh one of many things it needed to make sure it was up to speed again but since then it's been a very reliable bike yeah. I, I can't complain about the reliability of bmw yeah. and mine has only had a cold start issue it doesn't like the cold and so it just won't start in the morning and the cold mornings what other kind of things what else has, has um, been noteworthy on your trip yeah so uh we were looking for is you know we were trying to find wild camp so wild camping is our preferred means if we could find wild camping and remote enough then that's what we'll do so i was looking for a uh, remote trail in italy and i found this trail but it then it all of a sudden became a single track and then i realized a little further away it was going to be a little too much a little too difficult for our heavy bikes and then um i just i tried to back up on this trail and i ended up backing up a little too far my rear wheel actually got too close to the the edge and it just fell down and you don't want to have that feeling it was just this insane feeling of losing control and your whole bike and you just plummeting down into an embankment um i remember i was able somehow i was able to stand up the bike on end with just the rear wheel and hold it up kind of barely. And I was on the microphone. I was like, Chantel, Chantel, I need your help. And of course she's trying to park the bike and run up and see what's going on. But at this point, the bike was probably a good six feet down the embankment. And I did my best to hold it, but it's, it's a heavy bike with all of our stuff on board. It's probably 400, it's 420 pounds empty. 
And then we probably have another 80, 90 pounds of stuff on, on the bike. So I had to drop it. And when I dropped it, the whole front end just went over and then fell on its left side. And now it's probably a good 12 feet down the embankment. And uh, I was just crushed because everything everything we own is on these on these bikes, and I literally just dropped my bike off an embankment. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it wasn't a cliff; it dropped it kind of in the weeds. Um, and then um, I was just like, "What are we gonna do?" So, inter- interesting enough, uh, we're trying to record everything, we're trying to document everything, and we we have a YouTube channel, and everything. So, what went through my mind was. You're going to want to record this. So I hit record. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, um, I'm trying to get Chantil and she came down. And interesting enough, we have a snatch block kit. Um, it's basically some um, climbing rope with two snatch, two, uh, two snatch blocks. And um, we can use that to tie to a tree and yank our bike up the side of a cliff if we have to. And hopefully with a two to one, ratio we won't be pulling more than like 200 pounds of weight but um interesting enough as i start pulling all the stuff off the bike to make it lighter all of a sudden this guy comes out of the blue yeah from this little italian guy he comes up he's like you guys need help we're like yes yes but he was all in italian (laughs) yeah but we could tell we don't know italian but (laughs) we, we could tell that he was there to help us and then um before you know it he, he waves down the nice guy that's come by, and he comes over. And then the, he waves down one more guy, and there's like three big bulky guys that yeah. are ready to help us pull this yeah, bike out. Big strong Italian guys, and they come down, and we we strap up the bike, and we. Uh, and communication is none because we don't speak their language, right? Yeah, I don't know Italian, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I'm in Italy of all places. And then within like five minutes after that, all of a sudden this lady comes and she turns out that she lived in the United States. So she does all the translating. So we have three strong Italian men and we have a translator and um, we end up getting the bike out. Um, What we had to do was actually we tried to get it out the same uh, embankment I dropped it off of, but it pulled it uprooted the tree that we attached it to. I guess it was an old rotten tree. And then, uh, so we, we ended up pushing the bike further down the embankment and then I rode it through, through some rocky dry wash. And then the next embankment going up the other side wasn't as steep. So I did my best to ride up that side. That didn't go well and up dropping the bike again, but we were able to strap it. And this time with the three strong Italian guys and me pushing it and guiding it, we got it, we got it up to the next embankment. Surely... Surely I imagine that the frame was bent. Uh, I literally just dropped it over on its side. I thought the forks would be bent. Something wasn't going to be right. So as soon as we got up to the embankment, I looked over everything, and there was nothing wrong with it. Short of we have rotopacks that we carry. We have an extra one gallon of water and an extra gallon of fuel that we have mounted onto the front. And the rotor pack mount was uh, slightly, slightly bent. So I just bent it back in place and then I went for a test drive and everything was solid. The bike was bike was in great shape considering I dropped it off an embankment. And then um, within probably an hour after I dropped it off, we had it loaded again and we were, we were on our way down the road again. Wow. You know, it's amazing. The, the bikes are, are pretty durable, aren't they? It's surprising. Yeah. I mean, really the, the biggest, shocking, yeah. the most damage yeah. you get with something like that is often your ego. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah. And it, it'll come back, you know, it's bruised a bit for a while, but it comes back. But we are grateful for those Italian gentlemen. It's just, it, yeah, it, the, the blessing afterwards was like, how on earth, like, did all those people just show up out of the blue? Like, no, it was no less than three to five minutes. Yeah. And we were kind of on a remote trail. I mean, the, there was a paved road just a little ways away, but they would have had to be paying attention to notice us off off in the distance. Yeah. Like it's something that anybody who was just kind of driving wouldn't notice. Yeah. But they the right guy noticed and all the right people showed up and helped us off the trail. It's kind of amazing. The thing I hear with that story is that there you are in another country, a foreigner, in this situation of COVID, and people instantly help you. They, they, I mean, you didn't say anything about them coming up and trying to communicate, are you sick or, you know, or anything like that. They yeah. helped you first. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Looking back, yeah. looking back, there was no masks. <laughs> there was no masks. There was no gloves. <laughs> no, yeah, none of that. It was just, like you said, people helping each other out. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of neat because I, I often think this is human nature is our human nature is, you know, I, I, my example is often if, uh, you know, an old person was walking down the road and fell, people just run over to yeah. help. It, it's your instinct. It's like we have this instinct as okay. humans to help someone in need. And I love yeah. to hear that that's so deep that it overcome everything. I, I, obviously we need to be safe and everything. And I'm not discounting any of that, sure, but I can sure. just hear that in that story. And I think that's really heartwarming. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then the good news is then like 20 minutes later, we found a good spot to a wild camp. Uh. <laughs> a safer one. <laughs> a much safer one. <laughs> How are you meeting people when you're out? Um, I think it's, it's a challenge. I think COVID has made it more of a difficult yeah. thing because I think people tend to be standoffish. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting enough, just having motorcycles in Europe with, uh, with, um, American plates. A lot of people will come up to us and and talk to us. And you make eye contact and give them a smile. And I think a lot of times they, they, um, feel that you're friendly enough that they can approach you. And how are you protecting yourself as far as COVID goes when you're traveling around, when you're dealing with people, all of that? Well, of course a mask. I always have my mask around my neck. Um, in case someone comes up or anything and you go into stores, but it's always around my neck. And then, um, we have hand sanitizer with us. And every time we, we come into the place, we make sure we wash our hands and, um, and then gas, gas pumps. I use a plastic bag just to, just to fill them up and then, uh, I'll throw that plastic bag away. Yep. And when you're renting a B and B and you go in, you, you just trust that it's been cleaned or how does that work? Well, they have, they usually have the little hand squirter things. So you just kind of squirt the main things like the handles and the, um, the, the things that you're going to be touching. They're they're pretty good. I think there's like Airbnb, they have a certain standard and individuals want to, want to continue to maintain that standard for, it's kind of interesting how it works. I think in many cases they just, they want the favorable review so they they work hard to make sure that uh, things are up to up to Airbnb standards. Yep. 
Yeah, someone told me that now showing a picture in your listing in Airbnb with all your cleaners on a shelf is one of those things that everybody likes to do now to show how much work <laughs> you're, you're putting yeah. in the cleaning. <laughs> and they do, and almost every Airbnb has left like cleaners that you can do it yourself if you want. Um, always a little broom or something and uh, the, the cleaners that you can clean if you want. I've seen them always in the bathrooms or in the closets. And have you been meeting other uh, travelers on motorcycles? Not as many. Yeah, we saw just those three at the gas station not too long ago. Yeah. They were traveling um, from uh, Czech, Czech Republic. Republic and yeah. they came down um, for just the weekend. They said they had to get away, so they went for the weekend. But, um, but not too many. It's surprising because the Trans Euro Trail is a really popular network. Yeah. But we're not seeing we're not seeing a lot of motorcycles on those roads. Yeah, not since mm. COVID. Yeah, in Spain, in Spain, we didn't have any, and in in Croatia, we didn't even see any on there at all either. So yeah, if you want isolation and social distancing, like there's a lot of it around here because <laughs> now's the time. There's not many, not many people out on the roads. Mm-hmm. What happens if things get worse? Do Do you guys have a plan? Have you talked about that and say, well, if things get worse and really get trapped, I mean, what happens then? Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess the reality is. Wherever you're at in the world, people are going to have to deal with it in their own way. And is, is how we're dealing with it in, in Croatia any better or worse than the United States? I mean, that's arguable, right? You, you watch mm-hmm. a lot of news in the U.S. and you think that, hey, things aren't really going well there. But again, that's, that's watching the news. We talk to our family and they live in Idaho and things necessarily aren't as bad as it might perceive on the news. So I think... Yeah, regardless of where you're at, I think it's going to work out. People are going to deal with it in their own way. I don't know. That's why I said at the beginning, we're from the world. Yeah. Because <laughs> no matter where we're at, we're home, right? <laughs> I mean, you're right. Ultimately, our get our if things go super bad, what do we do? We hop on an airplane and go back to the United States? Mm-hmm. But if there's a like, plane. Yeah, if there's, if a, plane, there's yeah. a plane. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can make home wherever you want it, though. That's the cool thing. Does it feel like that? Does it, does it feel like everywhere is home? I mean, does it have that same feeling for you? For me, it, it does. It does now. Yeah. Yeah, it does now. Yeah. It's our way of life and we are loving it. How long is it going to last for? Uh, we got... Uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't know yet. Yeah, we, we laughed the other day because we're like, hun, we spent, we spent three... We're going to spend three months in just one country. And then we looked at how many countries there are, and I think there's over what 160 or something. We're like, it's going to take us like forever years. if we spend three months in each country to see all these countries around the world. Yeah. So uh, we'll have to speed it up a little bit. The problem right now is though, there's no rush because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of slowing down a little bit, but. But and until then, we're we're enjoying the ride. I mean, today we just had a beautiful day and of our island here in Croatia and like I yeah it was, it was incredible it was beautiful beautiful riding the roads weren't crowded the nice curvy beautiful roads so no complaining when you guys are, are going into a country what are you looking for what's your what's the experience you're after uh, culture um unique um history about them like we look or here we looked for castles and we look for um the little tiny towns so you can go and just sit down and, and have a little something that's local. 
Um, what else we go? The beaches. We went to the beaches today. Um, yeah, that's not really our thing. Like, I mean, you know, that's what I'm wondering. Is that killing time or, or not killing time, but doing what you can do while you're there? Or is that what you're really after? Is that what you, what drives you for travel? I think we look for like unique things. So beautiful places. One of, one of the websites we use is called Atlas Obscura um, because there's kind of more off the beaten path, obscure kind of things. Like I, I love roadside attractions. Um, so going and finding those kind of places are unique to me. But I also love history of a place. So UNESCO World Heritage Sites, those are to me, those are worth visiting. And then beautiful uh, areas. Like um, national parks or um, here in Croatia, they have some amazing national parks with waterfalls and with um, big, huge cliffs. And yeah, I would say we're very much tourists, um, but travelers. So like, I mean, a tourist, I guess, would be more of like, OK, somebody flies to a location, tours it for a week and goes home. But I feel like we still want to see the touristy places. Um, but we're also travelers in a sense that we're doing it full time, but I'm definitely not, I don't think we're people, we're definitely not people that just want to get on a motorcycle and enjoy the ride and ride for five, 600 miles a day. That's not our style. When you mentioned culture about your interest in culture, how do you get that? Um, you, you go to the city that you're going to, and then you look on the website says, what are the most interesting um, historical places in this city. So that's culture through historical places or, or yeah. you know, heritage yeah. sites or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, then you go to a local restaurant or small business restaurant and that's where you eat your meal and, and you kind of get that culture too. And if someone's willing to talk to you, then you can hear some of the stories with that. Do you do that as well when you're looking at an Airbnb? Do you, do you lean towards ones that you think might give you a better experience, maybe ones that you're interacting with the host? Um, yeah, well, we try to do the English one so that they can actually tell us some history mm-hmm. and, um, and you, you read their comments and you say, and so we are drawn to the ones that do say that they give more information, I think. I think there's less of that though. And that's, that's the downside of the current pandemic we're in is I definitely feel like there's less of that kind of sharing and just breaking bread kind of with people and, and having a meal, um, I think that exists probably more last year where mm-hmm. people would do that. But it, there's a risk to the Airbnb hostess as well or the hosts because they don't know what they're getting either. So although some have been pretty open, I think yeah. many of them are like, okay, here's your home. Yeah, I remember Angela? She was awesome. Yeah. yeah. She took us on a hike and she told us as much history as she possibly could. It was pretty awesome. That was awesome. But it, it did take a couple of days because we ended up staying there for a week. It did take a couple of days before she felt comfortable yeah. with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there is a risk. I mean, you're a traveler. You know, you're certainly the one that could be bringing it to them. They don't know your history. Yeah. They yep. don't really know where you've been or who you've had contact with. And neither does anyone, really, I mean, even yourselves. You don't know if you've got it. Have you guys been sick? No. No. We don't know too many people either that have had it. No. Does it worry you what, what you could be, like being on the road and the chance of picking it up? Uh, worry. Yeah, I mean, okay, I so guess you can't control that. Is, so, like, I guess I'm, I, like you said, I just focus on the things that I can control. Okay. And I, I can't control getting it or who I come in contact with. So, 
The only thing I can really do is focus on the things that we can do. Wear, wear a mask, make sure it's hand sanitizing. It's I mean, other than completely give up traveling, go back home and try to find, (laughs) yeah, be a hermit somewhere. I guess there, to us, there's no other option. Yeah. And so, um, I say, um, if you worry, you suffer twice. Mm. There's no doubt. I I think there's a a famous saying about that, about, um, uh, the hero. And I'm sure you, you guys know that one as, as well. And, and that can come off cavalier to to hear you say, you know, well, I can't control it, so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about it. But I totally get what you're saying because I, I think we're along the same lines. It's thought process. It's pragmatic. You look at it and you think, okay, well, I understand the, the risk, and I'm doing everything yeah. I can, and that's all I can do. And to sit there and that's and right. worry myself about it that gains nothing. Worry, I always say, is a wasted emotion. It does nothing for us at all. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Where would you guys be now if it wasn't for COVID? <laughs> um, let's see. Um, we, we planned on being in this area as well. I mean, um, except for we would have traveled a lot more. Like we yeah. would have been already up to the um, up to the North Cape and <laughs> and to the UK. And uh, yeah, we would have made our whole circle this uh, summer and then been down here in the Balkans to winter. Our plan was to winter in this area, but more likely probably further south. So. I think we would have spent the fall in this area, maybe more of Greece and then um, Turkey. And then our hopes was that we would be in Israel, Jordan area for the winter. And then as soon as the season was open, we would cross into Egypt and then make our way down to South Africa um, outside the rain season. And then? Uh, who knows? Yeah. Once you're in South Africa, then so uh, many people love Africa so much, they just continue around it. So that, that would have been an option, too. We could have just continued to the western side of Africa and mm-hmm. back up through Morocco. And then, and then who knows, ship the bikes to the Middle East, possibly. Ship them to United Arab Emirates. Get, get to see Yemen, UAE. And then as an American, hopefully... I mean, not right now, but in the future, see what we can do to get a visa to Iran, travel through that country, and then make our way to Asia. And have you been to South America yet? No. 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 When you go to South America, I'm assuming you're going there. Yeah. That's wrapping things up for you. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) So, that would be the plan. Asia, and then to Australia. Australia, New Zealand, and then ship from New Zealand to South America, and then arrive home after I've ridden around the no, world. No, because we're going to go up to Canada and to up to Alaska and then uh, yeah. to Canada and back to the United States. <laughs> there's a lot to see in Canada as well. Yeah. Wow, it sounds so laid back what you're doing, but I guess that this is your life right now. This is our life. I mean, it kind of is laid back, right? Yeah, it is for <laughs> sure. I mean, because that's the hard, a lot of people say, well, it's so difficult. And yeah, I mean, I think it is. There's a lot of planning and preparation, but Ultimately, I mean, we saw what happens when we plan and prepare this year. Yeah. It just goes out the window. So um, all you can do is kind of just plan the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And we're fortunate because we still have the funding. Um, I think if that wasn't coming in, then uh, we'd, we'd be really stressed out. Well, and that's why I asked if you were running a deficit because I think the deficit – really adds stress to things. I mean, yep. it tells you there's an end. 
you know, and you can calculate it every day. You can sit there and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. And this is the end. We can see it. But if you don't have that end, that's, that's a lifestyle. Yeah. It is a lifestyle, but that lifestyle comes at substantial savings on our part to make sure we we were prepared for it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about travel back in the day, you know, before the internet. And we've heard it tons of times on this show and how um, it was more adventurous and it was difficult. And nowadays just go online and, and you can find all the information you want. You're traveling arguably through an extremely difficult, possibly the most difficult time, COVID. Not only is it difficult to travel, but it's dynamic. We have no idea what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. How do you think that plays out? How do you think that compares to someone like Ted Simon who traveled back in, you know, the 70s? I don't know. He still um, has an amazing adventure. He's still a hero of my book. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. So, like, a lot of that is uh, the Internet has made... I mean, just having the availability information. Yeah. So think, just think about us making the choice to come to Croatia. Would that information have been available if we couldn't go to one easy website and say, hey, are Americans allowed to come here? Uh, what is it required for Americans to come? Like, yeah, that, that's amazing how much information we have at our fingertips to help make us make intelligent and maybe logical choices. What have you guys learned about yourself that you didn't know or you didn't realize before you left on this trip? We love each other even more than we did before. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really so, nice. I still won't ride on the back of his bike. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're together a lot more than we've ever been, of course. And that, that's worked out really well. We enjoy each other's company. Um, I won't say that it's always good. It's always like lovey-dovey, right? There's yeah. definitely times when we stress out on each other. Um, but we've learned to adjust. I think for me, the biggest thing is, um, I'm a planner and I like plans to go my way. And if they don't go my way, I get frustrated and angry sometimes. And I've kind of had to let that go. I've just had to let that go because like you just, you can't plan now. And it's also forced us to slow down. I mean, I never expected I'd be spending three months in Croatia, but we're grateful for it because we've seen so much. It's been a great time here. So, It's interesting to hear you say you're a planner because to listen to you, it doesn't really sound like that. It sounds like you're more, uh, you know, that that, uh, that beach bum style person that, <laughs> that's very laid back, eh, whatever. If we get there, we get there. Maybe next year, whatever. <laughs> that's no, that's, that's more like, like me. Is that you? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's more that's like me, style. but Travis, that's no. Until for sure. <laughs> oh, really? So you you guys are opposites that way. So that has that has to be a, a moment of stress right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally exactly. opposite. Yeah, yeah. So like when I'm the one that typically plans kind of the route or what we'll see, we'll we'll look at stuff together. But yeah, Chantel kind of agrees that all right, I stay out of his way. He plans it. Uh, not that she's along for the ride, but sometimes I think it's nice because you you're pleasantly surprised by places we see. Yeah that I've already planned on. So what advice would you guys have for someone who's considering a trip? I say just, just do it. Just do it. Well, just follow your dreams and uh, tackle them. And I'm telling you, you'll pinch yourself every day. You'll say, I can't believe I'm out here. I can't believe I'm doing this. The hardest thing is committing to it Committing. and just saying you'll do it. I mean, that takes a lot of guts. Immediately we talked about sailing and, um, 
sailing, uh, getting rid of our sailboat was was actually really hard difficult day. for you. That was a sad day. Emotionally, it was harder. I think when you mentioned how the kids felt, and I think I nearly cried the day we sold it. I believe it because that was part of that was literally a part of our lives. And like you said, we were we were fully ingrained into sailing and taking the sailboat maybe one day around the world. But uh, I don't regret it at all. Like uh, switching up to motorcycles, I think is uh, has been pretty rewarding. We often hear that advice from people, you know, the just do it thing. And in, and it can be, you know, one of those things to say, okay, well, yeah, that's easy to say. What helped you get over the hurdles as you're doing it, including selling that sailboat? Um, I guess saving enough money. Like, I think that's probably what hurts most people is they're, because income-wise, especially in Europe, we're probably, we're probably spending, I mean, our budget is a hundred, hundred a day. So that's pretty substantial. Two motorcycles for a whole year. That's like 33, $36,000. That's, that's quite, that's a substantial amount of money. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the hardest thing because not that we, not that we sit there and hoard our money, but money does provide you some freedoms in life, of, yeah, course. of course. So I don't, well, your original question was like, how do people overcome that? Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess the, what we did was we had a dream, we scraped and we saved. Yeah. And then once an opportunity presented itself, 2020, took it. we took it. Yep. Little did we know that other things in 2020 were going to have also be somewhat heavy handed for our adventure. But despite that, I think we've, uh, we've still managed to make it work. But yeah, you need to have a dream and then you need to work for that dream. You need to keep it in your, in your thoughts, in your mind. And you need to, like we had this globe in our house and every time we'd find something really cool, we'd put a sticker right where we wanted to go on this mm-hmm. globe. And I mean, it was always in our, our thoughts where we're like, Hey, this is where we want to go. This is where we want to go. And we'd see it every morning when we wake up, we'd see this globe of, with all these dots on it. There's another good person, and this is the sailing community, but his name is Fatty Goodlander. This is kind of a call sign name. Um, he, uh, he, he writes a bunch of good books. He's a very humorous writer. But what he did is he literally in his pocket, he says, how do you save or how do you – and he's an ordinary guy too. Like he didn't, he didn't have a ton of money when he, him and his wife sailed around the world multiple times. I think they've done it two or three times now. Um, it's, he's just a regular guy scraping scraping money to make it work and what he did is anytime he considered buying something he always had in his pocket a little memento and this little memento happened to be a metal anchor and he would anytime he'd pull out his money to buy something he would see this anchor and he'd say hey do you really need this item is this keeping you from your dreams is it is it hurting you in the long run and then that kind of suitcased a lot of how he spent his money and he saved a lot of money and they ultimately made it happen. Yeah, mm. yeah because it's that old saying, you, you take care of your pennies, which we don't have anymore, but you take care of your pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And it's so true because there's so many, I always say this when we're out, there's so many ways to spend our money. Yeah. It's just so easy to do. Yeah. yeah. It is so easy. I think it's a lot of the things, like we couldn't do this if we had a lot back home. So... Maybe that's the hardest pe- thing for a lot of people yeah. is to get rid of the things that you think matter in your life, but they don't. I mean, we had to do that when we moved to a sailboat. 
I mean, at the time, I was really into my my DVD collection and my uh, stereo system. My uh, yeah, all the, the stereo system and all this stuff. I spent thousands of dollars in high end audio equipment. And I remember when we made the commitment to move to a sailboat, I just sold it at a garage sale for for pennies. Oh wow! And then like just it changed our lifestyle. Like yeah. we just focused on the things that really mattered to get us to where we need to be. Yeah. We have done a couple of those in life where we've uh, downsized and got rid of everything. And I, I do remember the the one time, I guess it was the first time we did it. I remember feeling the relief. I had a lot of, um, I have all kinds of stuff, tools and, and ham radio stuff. And the ham radio stuff was the stuff that struck me because when I sold it, I was very disappointed to, to sell it because of stuff that I yeah. sort of worked up over the years. But when it was gone, I realized that there was some sense of relief with it gone. Yeah. I no longer had to worry about using it to justify the existence of it. And, yeah. and I mean, that sounds kind of silly in a way, but in, in my mind, it actually made me feel better. That just a sense of relief. That's true. Yeah. Clutter, declutter your lives. I think that's, that's the only way you can really make it work if you want to travel full time. That's not to say that everybody has to travel full time. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. That just happened to be our dream. Um, could I have a euphoric moment where I'm just pinching myself saying, wow, my wife is incredibly blessed writing anywhere in the United States right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, does, it doesn't have to be an island in Croatia and a bar somewhere. Yep. Well, it was great to sit down and talk with you guys. And, and I just think it's amazing that you're out there having an adventure. There's so many people that will listen to this and think, I wish I was there. Chantel, Travis, thank you very much for coming on the show. Our thank pleasure, you, Jim. Jim. It's been awesome. That was Travis and Chantel Gill on their open-ended adventure, Traveling the World by Motorcycle. Their website is, now I'm going to spell this to you so you've got it, V-I-A-J-A-R-M-O-T-O.com. And of course, that link will be in the show notes. Also in the show notes for this episode on our website, we have some very cool photos from Chantel and Travis of some of the places they've been. Some of these are tourist destinations without tourists. It's a, a site few will ever have the chance to see in the world. That's on our website, adventureriderradio.com, in the show notes for this episode. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that 
about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, of course, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Now I guess it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. I hope you're in a spot where you actually can ride. Now, um, before I let you go here, I want to mention that uh, Adventure Rider Radio is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. If you're not doing it already, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. we got a bunch of different ways you can do it, but anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent at you for your toolbox, your bike. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show, which I'm going to tell you about as well. And um, we would love to get you to sign up for our patron account. That, that's a, a monthly program. It doesn't take much, just a few dollars you can put into that. And then we can count on having you there every month. And there's also some perks with that as well. So have a look. I think you'd be quite interested in the perks. Anyway, um, the other thing I was going to mention is Raw, which I, I just mentioned a second ago. Raw is the other show that we do. It's a monthly show, roundtable talks about motorcycles, travel, and, and other things that we do. There's a group of us on there that, that chat about different topics. We have a lot of fun with it, and it's a popular show. You'll need to subscribe separately for that one. Find it everywhere that uh, podcasts are found. That's Adventure Rider Radio Raw, or ARR Raw, and of course, Adventure Rider Radio. Anyway, time to get out there and ride. Like I said, if you can, my name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it, and I will talk to you next week. This is Spencer Conway from African Motorcycle Diaries, and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 